0: The penny drops with our children, and they realize the extent to which their mother has betrayed them. And the, our parent, especially our mother, is a person we should be able to trust implicitly. And when they realize how that trust has been betrayed in the most savage and brutal way, that penny, when that penny drops, that is the, the one that is going to give them the punishment that they truly deserve. Yeah!
1: to why daddy never cries podcast with your host chuck kelleher at why daddy never cries we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies their children divorce and silent domestic violence we'll hear real life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives we'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground hang in there daddies chuck's here
2: chuck kelleher and why daddy never cries are providing this podcast as a public service I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries, employees, or our guests are their own. Guest appearances on the program, do not imply an endorsement of them, their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together.
1: We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade.
3: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Nicole. Appreciate it as always. Today we're talking with David, and David is going to give us quite a history lesson, everyone. So we added some links in the show notes in case you want to look some things up. The connections David makes, very interesting. With that being said, let's get into it. Hey, David, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cried podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Chuck? Doing well, sir. Doing well. Early here, but it's noon by you, right? Seven o'clock in the morning by you. Seven o'clock in the morning here. It's okay. Yeah. So, um, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Thanks for coming, man. If we don't get the word out and start telling our stories, other guys out there will think they're alone, and that can't happen anymore.
0: No, it's got. That's got to change. And my personal view is that social media and TikTok and all that—they're great. They're great for getting us together, but. What we've got to do to be be heard is take the message out onto the streets so we're heard not just by people who are tuning in. We don't want to be just preaching to the choir. We want to be saying what we have to to the people who need to hear it.
3: Absolutely. Get politicians involved, people who are standing on the sidelines not understanding what's going
0: on out there, get their involvement. And there's far too many feminists who don't understand what we're going through and they don't appreciate the one by the law of averages one day it will be their sons their brothers their the people that they love people that they knew as children that they they sort of danced in their knees and said oh you're going to be great you're going to you're going to rule the world one day and now they're seeing them in the most indescribable pain that you would not wish on your worst enemy absolutely oh, david where are we calling home these days i live in manchester in manchester I live about about half a mile from the Manchester City Stadium. That's the Etihad, not United. This end of town is very, very Manchester City blue, and the place I work in—it's it's all very, very Manchester City. And I, I assume you're Man City. Well, actually, I was born in Liverpool, so that's a little bit quiet.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, what what brought you to Manchester?
0: I was—I used to live in a place called Cumbria, which is uh, on the edge of the Lake District in the northwest. And I met my ex-wife, as she is now, on a station platform. At that time, at that time, we were in, in other relationships, but we got together. We had three beautiful children together, and then pretty much since COVID, things started to go downhill between us. I was studying for a business management degree, and she was supporting us. You know, there's a lot of work involved in doing a degree, which she didn't really understand. And then COVID disrupted everything. And I was trying to continue my studies via you know, Zoom meetings, as you had to back then. But that wasn't working. During that time, I got the job that I'm in now. I'm a security guard, which I love. She wasn't happy with me having a job title like that. She wanted me to be a manager. And I didn't want to, to leave that out. Financially, we started to do really well. But you no, know, she wanted the fancy job title. And everything I did was, you can't do this. You can't understand that because you are just a security guard. And for example, a year ago, my eldest daughter, she had to do a project for a school, which was all about Canterbury Cathedral. And there's three choices, write a guidebook, do a floor plan like an architect's blueprint, or build a model of the cathedral. And the choice was pick one of three. And I said, well, well, we'll have to do the model because I don't have the means to do a floor plan or put together a guidebook. You know, I didn't have a proper laptop working. So we were doing the model. And she kept complaining that the reason it was taking so long is because I didn't finish university. And I couldn't make her understand that Canterbury Cathedral, as we know it today, took a thousand years to build. It wasn't built in a week. (laughs) But, you know, to her, I'm a failure. I'm a this, I'm a that, because I didn't finish university. But at the time I was studying, she didn't understand the amount of work that's involved in doing a university assignment. She'd say, you've got four questions. Why is it taking you eight weeks to answer them? But to do a, a degree takes a lot of work, as I'm sure you understand. Absolutely. I did night school myself. So anyway, uh, last August, uh, she took off with the children uh, while I was out at work. She left me a WhatsApp message saying, I'm going out with the children. And then the next thing I knew, there were allegations that had been made against me. I didn't know what they were until I was served in early September with a thing called a non-molestation order, an ex parte, which is essentially, it's a precautionary measure in case the allegations are true. It's not a verdict of guilty or not guilty. It's a precautionary measure. I don't know if you've got the same sort of thing in America. We Um, call them orders of protection here. Yeah, something like that. But essentially, um, that's what it is. But it has to be fought out in the family court, not criminal court, because it's not a criminal matter, even though the things that she alleged in there were and are criminal offences. So thanks to my father taking out a loan, we were able to afford to buy, to hire a very, very good lawyer called Samara Iqbal. She was a fantastic lawyer. And she was so ethical. She was so professional and a very nice person indeed. She she works for a firm called Aramis Law uh, here in Manchester. And I'm saying that because she is a really, really good lawyer. Anyone, I mean, she's expensive, but you don't expect to buy a a Rolls Royce for (laughs) tap-tap-banger prices. Do you know what I'm saying? You get what you pay for.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You get get what you pay for.
0: You get what you pay for. God bless her. She fought so hard for me. She was professional. And even when in one of the court hearings, my ex-wife's lawyer was being rude to her, she she wasn't fazed by it. Anyway, one of the allegations made against me during those proceedings was that I'd posed as a police officer, posed as a social worker, gone to my ex's house uh, and rummaged through her things, which wasn't true. I wouldn't have done it anyway. But even though the police said that that wasn't true, a week later she was telling the family court i'd sent fake police to her house and so <laughs> uh, on the
3: back It of- would be extremely illegal to do to f- pretend you're it an would officer have been.
0: yeah but, but but anyway we beat the family court allegations and i was reunited with my my children briefly in march april time and then because two of my children said they wanted to live with me and the eldest wanted to live with the mother at the week stay with me at the weekend I wanted to get mediation involved so that I wouldn't have to talk to her directly. And then round two kicked off, which I can't talk about because it's ongoing an ongoing procedure. Understood. But it, it went very, very badly for me. And so I'm now, now facing round two, which is a lot more serious. But again, I can't discuss it because it's an ongoing process. Are
3: you looking at jail time for this?
0: Potentially. Potentially. But okay, we can leave it at that. Yeah. So in the, I don't know how it works in America, but in this country, the police have to present their... Their findings took the Crown Prosecution Service and the Crown Prosecution Service would have to say, yes, this has got a chance of victory. We can take it. Or no, you've not done your work properly. Take it back. It would go that way. But things being as they are, you know, there's the horrible feeling in the back of my throat uh, or my stomach that I could end up like George Stinney. A young African-American boy in the 1940s, he was accused of murdering two little white girls. And he was the youngest person in American history to be executed. And I heard about his story on uh, another channel. The account of his final moments would break your heart because he was actually he was electrocuted in North I think North Carolina, South Carolina.
3: The story alone is breaking my heart. Yeah. the details. Oh my god.
0: Um, I'm I'm horribly mindful of the fact that, for example, you have stories like Emmett Till, and even though the people that were responsible for his death never faced justice. And I think Carolyn Bryant um, only died last April. And, you know, even though she admitted she lied in that allegation about him, the Justice Department never prosecuted. Correct. Uh, You know, there was was never justice for that boy. And so many many others like him.
3: When you and I had talked, you were talking about the stakeholder theory and MLK. Is this what brought you? Yes.
0: Well, my, my thinking is that stakeholder theory... It involves, for example, when you want to expand an airport, there's so many different groups involved in, in a project like that, and not all of them will be in favor of, of, of a project like that. So if you're going to go ahead with a project of that nature, you've got to look for the common, start by looking for the common ground. What does everyone agree on? And then you can start to to to, to work on the things you disagree on. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um. And in the case of someone like Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, he got behind the bus boycott in in Alabama, but he achieved what he did without the benefit of social media. It wasn't social media that made the bus boycott a, a success. It was people protesting with their wallets and saying, we're not going to get on these buses. Absolutely. Um, what I started last Christmas, when I first when I got a new phone and I found it had TikTok on it, so I started playing around with it. And initially, I was doing things like filming the planes going overhead and reading poetry. And then round about Christmas, I started doing these kinds of videos, which were a little bit more productive. Because the first video I ever made, I read, it was just on the run up to Remembrance Sunday uh, or in the weeks before it. And I read My Boy Jack by Rudyard Kipling. Right. And my ex-wife sent an angry letter via her solicitor saying that I was uh, was accusing her of drowning the children. On a TikTok video. my my Boy Jack was actually written by Rudyard Kipling for his son who was killed in the First World War. Yes. That and, and his other poem, If, ironically, was written for the same son. Two poems that have become very much my, my rock and stay in this past year or so since this all kicked off. Uh, I
3: hope I never, ever have to experience the loss of a child. We lost my sister a couple of years ago, so I see what my parents went through. And we're all adults. I can't imagine mm. losing a child. Well.
0: The thing of it is that we're in a situation, Chuck, where we are grieving the loss of our children, and sometimes it does feel as though they are dead, even though they don't—they de- are not. Been there. And it's so hard for me not to sort of go to the area where I know they are, because in the normal way, when you when somebody dies, you you go to pay your respect to where their mortal remains are, like a graveyard, or if they're buried at sea, or you go to the seashore, or something like that of that nature. But I can't go to where their mortal remains are because I'd be breaching my terms and conditions. Yes, I've been there, too. How old are your children? Uh, my eldest has just turned 13 last month. My younger daughter, she will be turning 10. And my son, he turned seven. You've got a long way to go, brother. this is the other thing that's so heartbreaking because I am I love my children more than anything in the world. And I'm so, so proud of them but I can't name them. I no, can't show you. pictures of them oh, well, because that... obviously to protect them, but I'm not allowed to do that, even though she has done it on her TikTok. And something that really annoyed me was that she posted a video of my younger daughter singing Fly Me to the Moon. She's got a beautiful voice, and she's a she's a wonderful little girl. Well, not just a little girl. She's, she's coming up to 10. But she's an amazing child, and there she is singing Fly Me to the Moon Better than Sinatra, by the way. And I can't say, look at look at my darling little Mills bomb. Right. And I can't talk about them by name. I've got to come up with these code names instead of actually saying, this is my child. This is who she is. And then you've got my, you know, my darling little SGF, which is what I have to call my eldest daughter. You know, when she, she wanted to adopt a woodlouse one time and Mills Bond squashed it, and her response to that was to put a flower beside the corpse. <laughs> and and then you got my 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 son, who I refer to as my boy Jack, even though that's not his name. He is so sweet, so kind. And in the spring, when I was reunited with them briefly, I promised to take them to see my cousin over in, in York. He was so excited. He was when are we going to York? When are we going to York? Daddy, have you got the tickets? Daddy, have you packed the bag? Daddy, have you called for a taxi? When are we going to the station? And he even got my suitcase down, packed it for me with one shirt, one belt, two toys, and a monster truck as the essentials for travel. And that's who who he is. And what annoys me so much is that when I was asking social services how my children are, how my son is in particular, because he's on the autistic spectrum, so this is so damaging because the bedrock of his life is his relationship with me. And they said to me, oh, he's too young to know what he wants. And that really annoyed me. And one of my videos, I actually lost my temper about that. But it's just the problem with social services in this country, and I suspect in America, is that if I have my children here in the house and somebody twists an ankle and they're crying and a neighbor says, oh, I think dad is, is hurting the children, the police will descend and, and social services would descend on here like piranhas in a feeding frenzy and whip the children away. But if I'm expressing concerns about my children and their well being, they'll do a welfare check, which is no use to anybody. And a lot of children in the past, police have done welfare checks and they've still ended up dead. But because they're with the mother, the assumption is they're okay. And at the end of the day, the police response, it all comes down to our gender, and that's wrong. So, is this the UK's Domestic Abuse Act we're talking about? Yes, the Domestic Abuse Act came into effect in 2021, and the idea of it was to encompass acts of domestic abuse that don't leave an evidence trail, such as threats and controlling behaviours, things that don't leave an evidence trail, like, like a physical assault would do. But, unfortunately, they've not adjusted the way that the CPS treat these allegations, because to do so, they would have to lower the bar, lessening the requirement for the prosecution to be the one, one that, ha- that has the burden of proof. Does that make any sense? Can
2: you get yeah, a little deeper like into saying,
0: it? We're going to prosecute X, Y, and Z, but we've not lowered the burden of proof. Gotcha. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's
0: like, yes. Me, it's like me saying I'm going to launch a, a plane service from here to New York for my back garden without building an airport first. And uh, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. This is one of the problems we're up against is that, There are rules and regulations in existence now to protect children, but the police and social workers and welfare officers and so on, they're simply not following them. And you get get government reports being written and saying, these are the rules, these are the the guidelines, these are the lessons we've learned from past child murders. And I've read uh, reports going back 80 years, and the common thread has always been poor communication, poor information sharing, And uh, we're not keeping abreast of what's actually going on. And it happens over and over again. I could this murders going back to 1945, where this was the the common thread. And they're still not changing it. And I've seen one government report in which they were saying that frontline staff still, still don't understand why it's necessary to share information. And they don't understand how to share information. And they don't see how they can do that without breaching data protection. I could find those guidelines on Google, and I'm not a professional in that area. Walk us through some of that history. You've done extensive research in this, the, your well, common thread. The common thread, going back as far as 1945, there was a boy who lived in Shropshire, which is on the border with Wales, and his mother took up with, lost their father and took up with somebody else. And the, the stepfather was horrendously abusive, beat him, tortured him, starved him. The boy was reduced to to trying to suckle cows to get sustenance, and he was essentially beaten and starved to death. And even though social services at that time, in the last days of of World War II, were supposed to be checking up on him, they didn't, and he ended up essentially being starved to death. And the finding at the time was they weren't sharing information properly. Now, in 1945, they did not have the same tools for sharing information that we have today. But then fast forward to 2019, 2020, there was a little girl in West Yorkshire called Star Hobson, and her mother left her father, took up with another woman, and the woman was absolute psychotic, beat the child, tortured her. She lived for 16 months, and despite numerous safeguarding concerns expressed by her her father, her grandmother, her grandparents, her great-grandparents, and the wider family, the police and social services said this was just malicious gossip, fueled by prejudice against same-sex relationships. But the little girl died; aged 16 months old, she'd been beaten horrendously, and she had multiple injuries. And they they missed opportunity after opportunity to save her. And it was all again the findings of the report were poor information sharing, prejudicial language, and an assumption that this was that the concerns were just fueled by prejudice against same-sex relationships when, in fact, the child was noticeably suffering.
3: (laughs) How did I say this? You're saying a woman can be abusive?
0: Of course they can.
3: Of course they can.
0: But women do commit horrendous acts of abuse on children. Star Hobson's mother's girlfriend is a woman called Savannah Brockhurst. She's serving an extensive sentence in prison, I think, in the south side of Manchester. And so it does happen. Women, do, women are abusive. We all know this. Let me jump in for a second. You said extensive sentence. Do they
3: not get Sorry? life? You said extensive I, sentence. I, I
0: can't remember how many years she's got, but essentially it's a life sentence, but she okay. may be up for parole in, in however many years. I didn't read the full court document, but I think she is serving a long sentence for, for murder. I was hoping to hear the word life sentence, but... Uh... Well, unfortunately, unfortunately um, because this woman, Savannah Brockhurst, is female, uh, the sentence is lighter than it would be if she was male.
3: Yes, that's unfortunately true. In a lot of cases, when it comes Um, to domestic violence, not all, obviously, times are changing because guys like yourself, guys like myself are getting the word out. Yes. I've definitely seen change in the last 20 years. It's just not happening fast enough to save generations of children.
0: No. And the problem is, Chuck, that the rhetoric that's coming out from our politicians is that we must We must end the scourge of violence against women and girls, which I I get because I've got two daughters. Of course, I want them protected. Absolutely. But I don't believe the level of protection offered to them should depend on the gender of the attacker. And I don't believe that they should be protected and my son should not be.
3: I agree 100%. I have three daughters and a son in the same boat and two sisters, a mom, women should be protected. Children should be protected, especially from vile, savage pieces of shit men. Who attacked them 100%. Of course. But in the same regard, and we, you know, again, preaching to the choir, unfortunately, when it comes down to you know a man being abused, a lot of times it's overlooked. They're told to suck it up. And by the time yep. they figure out that it, it's, a, it's a lie, there's no accountability held. And then the not next all. group just does the same thing.
0: And even though the women make false allegations and and swear to them, they are not prosecuted either for perjury or for perverting the course of justice.
3: I agree. This connects the time of peace story. Can you get into that a little bit?
0: Oh, yes. there was um. There's a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes where he, the prophet writes, there is a time for peace, there's a time for war, there's a time for love, there's a time for hating, there's a time for joy, there's a time for sadness, there's a time for rejoicing, there's a time for mourning. And at the moment, we are in the time of war. But it's not it's not a war that has been preceded by Neville Chamberlain on on the wireless um, saying we are therefore forthwith in a war with Germany. This this is a savage war against tyrants who, unlike the Second World War, we're not fighting Hitler or Mussolini. We're fighting the mothers of our children.
3: Unfortunately, too, because as
0: parents, we should be united in in raising our children. Of course. And even even when a relationship ends, which happens The the sad thing is that that all too often the hatred for the ex-partner takes precedent over the well-being of the children. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, And as things stand, our ex-partners, our, you know, I'm going to say my ex-wife, she and her allies in the social services and the police and so on, they're striding around the world being lauded as heroes when in fact they are the dictators, they are the Hitler's, they are the Saddam Hussein's they are the Mussolinis. And the one comfort we can draw from that is that those men came to an ignominious end. Saddam Hussein, during the first Gulf War, striding around the place as the war hero, even though he had very little combat experience. And you think about what he was like at the end of his life.
3: Big difference.
0: Yeah. And you know he did not have the state funeral he might have expected when he was um, invading Kuwait.
3: I think one of the unfortunate parts with that and being 20 years removed now, or 20 years through this, uh, I'd be able to come to a a more peaceful place. And I know mm. when you're uh, just starting out on this journey, how do I phrase this? You maybe hope for the demise of your partner just to make it end. But unlike unlike the, the Mussolinis, the Hitlers, as you grow, you don't want your partner to suffer because it only hurts your kids because your kids mm. still will love their mom. Your kids will still mm. love their dad. Especially when you have a partner who's not trying to change them or chase them away from the other partner. So in the beginning, you're going to definitely want to see the demise of your ex. It's yes, it's, it's human nature. But if you can hold out long enough, you, we were talking earlier. You know, unfortunately, a lot of guys don't hold out; they snap. Not a lot. Yeah. Some guys. There's because there are a lot of guys going through this. I want to actually rephrase and, and retract that statement. Not a lot of guys snap. A lot of guys keep it together and maintain and and do the best they can to keep their families together. The few who snap are the ones who give the rest of us the bad name. It's not even we're getting a bad name because they snapped. We're getting a bad name because they were abused to the point of no return.
0: Yes, exactly. I think, speaking of myself, Chuck, what I would like to see for my ex-partner and for all these other women who are doing what they're doing, is not physical harm. I would like to see them being held to account in the way that Linda Fairstein was when the Netflix series um, When They See Us came out. Do you remember the Central Park Five?
3: I do remember Central Park Five. I don't know the Netflix series.
0: She was the the prosecutor who um, put those boys in in prison for a crime they didn't commit. And about four years ago, Ava DuVernay, she's a friend of, of Oprah Winfrey, she penned this this uh, mini series on Netflix. When they see it, it was about that story and about their journey from what happened to them to you know their exoneration and the, you know they got their payout, which was kind of a sham because the city of New York said there's no admission of fault. But when that series came out, Linda Fairstein, she went from being the hero and the champion of women's rights. She had a rapid fall from grace. She lost her her book deals. The bookstores wouldn't keep her books. The charity she was patron of didn't want to know her, and and she had a rapid fall from grace. And I think that is a far more effective punishment than even jail or physical harm. Because when that happens, the penny drops with our children and they realize the extent to which their mother has betrayed them. And our parent, especially our mother, is a person we should be able to trust implicitly. And when they realize how that trust has been betrayed in the most savage and brutal way that penny when that penny drops that is the the one that is going to give them the punishment that they truly deserve and it's going to be done in a way that no jail sentence or physical harm could achieve because physical harm if you kill somebody however much an idiot they were in their lifetime they're lauded as a martyr when they're dead but to shame them when they're alive and to hold them accountable when they're alive and hold them accountable to their children and when they have to beg their children for forgiveness. That's the punishment that I want to see. I uh, I
3: can I can empathize one hundred percent. I started very young with my daughters. I told them I'll never lie to you because of that exact scenario. I wanted them to know that every word that came. And sometimes it was hard. Christmas when that that question was asked, couldn't lie to them. And again, I have daughters who potentially could have been estranged from me, but we have a relationship now. And again, why I've taken up the saber to help other guys keep their kids in their lives
0: thank god for you and i'm again i am so so gr- grateful and honored that you you in america have heard of me and have given me this this chance to come on your show and and speak so i'm i'm truly grateful and very honored to 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 be here and i'm very th- i'm thank you very much for this thank you so much for sharing your story i appreciate it well i was just watching your
3: recently released tiktok video first of all uh, tell us your channel so people can find you it's called new ashton crew member New Ashton crew member, okay.
0: Yeah, I named it that because when I first got the job I'm in now, we're in charge of the security for a job center in ashton underline. There's two actually in that town. And when myself and my colleagues took over the building, and we got ourselves set up, my friend Frankie said, we should be the Ashton crew. And so we, we put ourselves in, in our WhatsApp group so we could contact each other, uh, phone each other and chat online, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we, Frankie called us the Ashton Crew. So that's why I got that that's where I got the name from. That's cool. i'm I'm singularly blessed. The job that I work in. it's a, a lovely place to work. I'm surrounded by people who are my my closest and most trusted friends. And they have seen me when I was at my worst and my lowest. and they've seen me cry my eyes out because somebody outside the building was singing Bohemian Rhapsody, and my eldest daughter, was a big is a big Queen fan, right? And you know, uh, uh, you know, back in December, I had a we had a lovely night out just before Christmas, and I was actually enjoying myself. And suddenly, the the thought of some of the allegations that have been made against me, particularly the ones where my ex had alleged that I deliberately exposed myself to my, my daughters, that broke my heart, and I I I, I collapsed. In the, on the streets, to the extent that I could not have found my way from the place, the pub that we were in, to the tram stop, which was barely hundred metres away, and the idea that I would do something like that to any child, let alone my daughters, was so was and is so abhorrent, and it grieves me and breaks my heart to think that. I know you don't swear on the Bible these days, in when you sign a court document. But it breaks my heart to, to realize that if my ex wife had been asked to swear on a Bible, she would have taken the Bible in her hand and, God fearing Christian though she claims to be, she would have sworn before a court and Almighty God Himself that that was a, a true statement of facts.
3: Did you end up having an anxiety attack? Is that when you, when you collapsed? It what? wasn't
0: an anxiety attack. I just broke down. I was sobbing my heart out. And it wasn't anxiety. I was just broken and I was. Crying my eyes out. My friend Frankie was the one who got me onto a tram and got, we got, we got a pizza and he got me home. But if it wasn't for Frankie, I wouldn't have known where I, I hardly even knew what was the road and what was the footpath. I could have walked out under a car.
3: Shout out, Frankie! Good looking out for your brother.
0: You know, um, and then you know my team leader a uh, guy called Mike. He's he's a really really decent guy. And then we work. One of the other guards, her name is Roberta. You know, she's very supportive. And then the other people in the job center, they are so supportive. I mean, I haven't told every all of them everything, but they know something of what I'm going through. And you know, they've been so, they've been very very supportive and understanding. So God bless them. David, I can empathize.
3: One time, I was on my way to work. I was on, the I think it was the three train, going to New Lots. Just got to the New Lots station. Actually, just before we got there, my uh, my heart was just ripping, ripping from my chest. I thought I was having a heart attack. I tried getting up, but I dropped right on the subway car, right to the ground. And I tell you, New York could be a tough place to fall down in because people just walked over me, man. Well, short story endless. I crawled out of the car. Crawled down the stairs of the subway station, got out onto the street, flagged down a cop. He insisted I uh, call an ambulance, which was probably the smart move, though the hospital was only four blocks away. It cost me 800 bucks to find out I was having a panic attack.
0: Yeah, I can empathize, man. This is one of the reasons why I didn't want to leave that job, because when you work in a job where you know you're working with people that you can trust with your life, you can't put a price tag on that and it's not worth giving it up just to get a job with a fancy title agreed you're about a year into this uh a year into my, my ordeal yes yeah. but i've been working i was i've been working in this job since the end of 2020
3: no but going through this you're all, you're only a year into the uh...
0: uh yes i'm i'm not the veteran that some people are
3: <laughs> you will be you will be unfortunately yeah
0: but one of the things i've found is that by doing these tiktok videos yes. you're sort of Doing the research and doing the notes and doing the scripts, and you know, being my own Spielberg feels even if it's if I'm not actually achieving anything, it feels like I'm doing something positive for myself, and hopefully for anybody who's watching the videos. and 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 I I do my best when I when I do a video to put something out there that is um, factual and well-researched and I can't Harvard reference the way I would in a, a, a dissertation, but I do my best to be able to say, this is where I got the information from. And this is where you can read up on it if you want to. I like the
3: therapy comment. And this could be something that can help a lot of other people out there. How do you, how do you tread getting yourself in trouble by talking on social media and releasing enough information that you feel better about your situation, or at least for the day or that minute that the
0: video was well, released? To to begin with what I try to do, you know, if I'm going to talk about something where necessary, I will preface it by saying, I'm not talking about my own situation. I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a lawyer. You You know, that sort of thing. I make that try and make that disclaimer. And then I will I will confine myself mostly in my content to essentially saying this is what's happening, not just to me, but so many of us. This is what's happening. This is what the rules say. And this is this is what, and I'll put a screenshot up of it, of the rules. I don't have the the technical skills to do, to do green screen or anything like that. But just say this is what the rule says. This is what's happening, and this is how it's being transgressed. Okay. And so it's, you you can see I'm doing my best to be to be factual and say this is not theory. This is the fact. This is what their own rules say, and this is what they're doing. And you can see by reading this is how the rules are being broken.
2: And my, say, my one sorry. of the
0: analogies that I try to I tend to use is that if the aviation industry was was run like that, all of their rule books are are based on past tragedies, and they learn from them, and that's what makes flying safe. But if the aviation industry was run like social services were run, the planes would be falling out of the skies like like snowflakes. And in aviation history, we have seen what happens when they don't learn the lessons, because 50 years ago, there was a plane crash of an aircraft coming out of Detroit. The cargo door blew out. And instead of grounding the DC-10s and saying, don't let these planes fly again until you've got this problem sorted, they didn't do that. And two years later, another plane crashed coming out of Paris. And on that occasion, there was a horrendous loss of life. And so that's the lesson we have to, I think that is a lesson we can all learn from get this bloody thing right observe the rules that are there for a reason and and then you won't have you won't have this kind of situation that we're all going through carrying on and i'll say it honestly our children you know my children are living in what even if they don't realize what is an abusive relationship now and they are not the place they want to be which is with their father how long has it been since you've had access to your children the last time i saw them was in april in April. Because of the family court thing that I won, uh, I was able to be with them. And then something else happened and it all kicked off again and it's gone in a horrible direction. So I've got that to fight. But again, I can't go into that in too much detail because partly for my own safety, Absolutely. but also because I've got to, it, it's an ongoing process. I'm, I can't prejudice it.
3: You, you don't want to risk your children 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, as of this recording, it's August 12th. So it's four months since he's, since David's had yeah. access to his children. Four yeah. months.
0: And it's, it's a horrible situation. I miss them. There's days when I get snowed under with things that remind me of them. And they're the worst days. And, you know, sometimes I just have to let it all out and roar and bellow. And I've got an old oil drum in the backyard, which if it gets really bad, I, I hammer the stuffing out of it because I can't afford a punch bag. They're about at least £200 to buy uh, new. I've got a nice house. There's not enough room in it to take a really good swing and knock the sh- you know, what house yep. or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, we. I just got my little guy uh, a standing little punching bag and I could knock it across the room, but uh,
0: he does well with it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, you know, sometimes you just really, you need a physical outlet. So I've got that as an extreme measure. But, you know, as a general thing, I've got my TikTok videos. I've got my books. I've got my cup of tea. Um, I've got three square meals a day. I've got the job I love and I've got friends and family who are so supportive of me. And in particular, um, you know, my, my parents, my father, if it wasn't for my, my, my stepfather, rather, I would not, he took out a huge loan so I could afford a good lawyer for the family court hearing. And the sad thing about that is that he, he's had to secure that loan against uh, his house. That house or the cash equivalent is in, in, in trust for the children, my children. Right. So essentially, that's 20,000 pounds that's just come out of their 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 inheritance. I made my poor
3: family walk on eggshells just because I didn't want them to break anything in the step. And you know what? If any of the people out there are listening going, ha, 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 great. Thanks for the downloads. Appreciate it. But my whole family, you're right, it's made to suffer because someone else makes a false allegation against you. Well the uh, divorce industry is an 11 billion dollar industry in the. US. I can uh, Do you happen to know the amount over there?
0: Um, no, I don't I don't happen to know it, but I, I imagine that uh, the divorce industry and more particularly the child support agency, you know the child support agency industry is probably probably more lucrative than cocaine. We had talked about the child support scam. How does child support work over there? Well, this is one of the big problems. The amount of, of money fathers are expected to pay is a percentage of your gross take-home pay, not your not your pay after tax and deductions, but before deductions. You can be expected to pay up to 19% of your gross salary, which is before deductions, and it doesn't take into account living expenses, You, know, you know, your rent, your mortgage, your local government tax, your food and uh, utilities. Not even luxuries like holidays or, or anything like that, but just the essentials of life. And that's nineteen and a half percent for one uh, child. Up? No, it's it's um, depending on how many children you can pay up to nineteen percent. Up to nineteen percent of your gross salary. So child support here,
3: this child support percentage of the combined parental income. Combined parental income is the key words. Seventeen percent for one child. Twenty five for two. Twenty nine for three. Thirty one for four. Something like no less than 35 for five kids. And again, that's 35% of the combined family income. Now, when you're in these kind of relationships where you can't even be around your ex, how are you supposed to know if they're making money? Well, if you try to find out, now you're snooping. But if they're hiding their job, are they just scared of you? Or maybe that's just the modern-day
0: entrepreneur. And is that, is, that, is that before before deductions?
3: Some taxes are taken out, but not all. Social Security yeah. is not. I'd I, I have to look at it again and be honest with you. When it came down to child support, I did an episode on it. I took the position of thinking of my ex as a glorified babysitter. I'm paying $25,000 a year wow. to not see my children. Yeah, You got to wrap your head around it somehow to keep your own sanities. So I, I stopped well,
0: looking at the child support laws and just kept paying. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a big scam because in, in my case... My ex-wife, she's Congolese, and the visa that she was granted to to stay in this country, she was already in this country when I met her, but the visa is granted on the basis of her being the mother of three British-born children. And as a a Congolese national, she would not be entitled to things like state benefits, council housing, uh, that sort of thing. However, because she has made an allegation of domestic abuse, she's circumnavigated that barrier. And she's got the same now. Got the same entitlement to benefits as if she was born in Manchester. So, had you just divorced amicably, no, she'd have no benefits. Had, yeah, had we divorced amicably, um, she we, we'd have gone our separate ways, and, and that would have been that. But she she took this option. If you look at the evidence, it's inescapable. She'd taken this option and made these allegations so she can get a council house, benefits, and all the rest of it, just so she can get money. And doing so, she she pulled the children off from this ridiculous cockeyed von Trapp family experience, bouncing them around Manchester, claiming, uh, swearing blind that I'm stalking her, that I'm I'm trailing her home. And what makes it all the more ridiculous is, if the police, if I'd done something like that, I'd be in trouble with the law. But if the police had actually come to me or come to my employer and said, "Can we see his worksheets, you know, my timesheets," mm-hmm. they'd have known that I was in work all of this time, and I couldn't I couldn't have done it even if I'd had a mind to. Guilty until proven innocent. Exactly. And it is ridiculous. So one of the benefits of, it's not a much of a benefit, but one of the byproducts of my experience and starting these videos is that I've built a network and I've got together with uh, my friend Rob over in Liverpool and other men in our situation and and starting to reach out to some women who have, have been affected by this because they're seeing that their current partners suffering because they can't see their children. So it does affect the wider family. So what we're doing uh, especially with my friend rob we're at the, the start of our journey together um sort of putting together a support group for other men in our situation we're bridging the gap we're working with other groups i'm i'm friends with mike over on the fall street Q's network and so and it was one of the people on there that inspired me to put that video out that i just put out this morning and so we're, we're sort of getting together we're going, going to do our own podcasts our own guidebooks we're going to do, talk about mental health and do things that we can to generate some money so we can afford to help other men because you know to do what we want to do costs money yes so rob for example he's putting together this um 369 deluxe program that we want to work on which will involve yoga and uh exercise to improve our mental health as well as our physical health and it's not a judgment on people who want to take a drink or have a cigarette but it's Ways to improve our our mental and physical health through improved diet, yoga, breathing exercises, and to sort of cope with the stress and storm of what we're going through so we can take that deep breath so that we can continue this fight. Because you can't fight if you can't walk. David, that's a
3: brilliant statement. And I can't stress that enough. I unfortunately took the, I'm going to crawl into a bottle to cope. (laughs) And that
0: doesn't help. It doesn't help. No, it doesn't. And yep. I'm not saying don't drink. You know, you can see my face. I am not Carrie Nation. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not Andy Volstead. So he probably had the best stock liquor cabinet in America at the time. I do like a glass of wine. I do like my whiskey. My my natural father is Trinidadian, so I'm very partisan about my rum. Absolutely. I was raised in Ireland, so I'm very partisan about my whiskey. <laughs> uh, and I smoke. But this is not something I'm going I can do, I can afford to do because I've got to be able to fight for my children. Absolutely. And it's the the fight for my children that keeps me going. Not just the fight for my children. It's the fight for Rob's children. It's the fight for other men's children. Because, again, a year ago, I was on my own. Yes, I had the support of friends and family. But at the forefront of this battle, I was on my own. It was just me. And then I started doing the videos and I started building a network. I started getting to know people like Rob, uh, you, Mike on the falsely accused, and so on. And first, we're like canoes in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And then, as we get together, the canoes become bigger boats. And eventually, we will become a super, super tanker. And I believe, honestly, that if we actually work together, we will create that wake, that bow wave, which will swamp our enemies.
3: You've heard me say it. I'm uniting the tribes. I'm the bullhorn right now. We're going to get exactly. all these little splinter groups together. And, you know, we're going to take into account. Mental health issues, paternity fraud issues, upbringing. Myself being a Brooklynese person, the way I speak—you know what—it can, taken out of context, sound
0: horrific. But it's not how we mean it. No, it's not. Well, if you're if you're from Brooklyn and your daughters are from Manhattan, there's there's the friction straight away. I've seen <laughs> Sex in the City. <laughs> but you know that's the thing. Whether you're from Brooklyn or Manhattan, and w- or whether you're a Liverpool supporter or an Everton supporter or a Manchester City supporter. This is the thing that unites us all. As important as our sports teams are and as sacred to us as they they might be, that's that's fine. But our children are so much more important. (laughs) And forgive me for for saying this. The fight for our children is a sacred fight. And as, as pious as this may sound, I honestly believe that the moment that we know that we are going to be parents, that is the moment. If you have a faith, if you have a God, that is the moment in your life when you are in touch with direct contact with the Almighty, and it is the most sacred trust that we've been given. And for our partners to betray that trust is the most horrendous betrayal of the most sacred treasure we have. And when I was dealing with my children, I love them so much and I treasure them. It, this, this separation from them is heartbreaking. And yes, there are times when I do break down and I've, or I'll come across something that reminds me of them and I'll break down and I'll cry.
3: I have a spare room for when my daughters come. Uh, it's actually their bedroom. And you, you walk past that bedroom every day and they're not there. You, you get up, you go to work. I leave very early in the morning for construction. Kiss everyone goodbye. Come home late at night. Kiss everyone hello. But you come home to an empty house yep.
0: and you find yourself hugging a stuffed animal. The thing of it is, I've got three children, so that's a heck of a lot of toys. If I took all of them to bed, there wouldn't be room for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and I, re- I remember when my son was a bit smaller, he would always have to bring every single one of his toys downstairs in the morning. But he had more toys than he had arms. He was, he was always struggling to... to Gather them all into one, and if he if he tried to help him, you'd think you'd taking the the toys off him. He'd go ballistic at you. But you'd have to try and grab him and all the toys in one arm and get them down the stairs. And but anyway, when it was bedtime, we'd have to go through the whole process again. And he'd like 50 toys and two short arms, and back to the whole thing again. And. He'd have to have the toys laid out in bed in in proper order. Otherwise, he he couldn't rest. But that was about my boy, Jack. And he likes things in order. He likes peace and order. And sometimes he reminded me of Hercule Poirot. He liked order and method in his life. Mm -hmm. And the tragedy is that because of what his mother has done, that order and method in his life has been destroyed. Hopefully we can get that back in time. And this is something that, again, I've brought
3: up on a few episodes now. The right to a speedy trial here, I thank God we have that here, because even though she was still living in a domestic violence shelter, I was able to see my children at a police station, mm. which, you know what? I recommend to everybody. You might not like it. it I'm going to tell you, you're not going to like it. It feel, You feel like shit. They make you look like shit. It's a horrible experience. However, you stay in your children's lives by doing it.
0: Do you have that ability If that, that was an option there? for me, I would take it. Yeah, good. But, then, you know, but if, for that uh, a scene stand, I can't. Legally, I can't. Right. But if I had a chance to, to, to see my children, I would see them, I would go, happily go and sit with them in that clapped out garden shed at the bottom of my garden. If that was the only option, I would take it. But it's not. The tragedy of it is that this is all brought about ultimately because of false allegations. And I honestly believe that if the police and social services did their job and investigated properly, you know, when this kicked off, they would have seen straight away. But it was so obvious that what my ex was doing was telling lies. And we're talking hard physical evidence that she has lied. And if they'd looked at that, that they would have seen it. And they would have seen that she had lied on police, lied to the police, lied to social services, lied to the court. And the wheels of justice would have kicked in. But they didn't because at the end of the day, she's a woman. She said it and is taken as gospel.
3: And you have actual work records. You have timesheets
0: showing that you time- could not yes. possibly be where she's claimed you were. Exactly. Well, for example, one of the things that she said was that because we've got children, we're entitled to something called child benefit from the government. And she was saying that she had to beg for this money from me. But when we first had the children, um, when I was filling out the application form for this money, I'd actually asked that the money goes straight into her bank account. And I've got documented proof that this is so. There's documented proof on one point that she, she didn't have to beg for money that was already automatically going to her account.
3: My bank mails out the child support checks every week, so I don't even have to write them, look at them. They just go out and they're set to expire, whether I live or die on the date they're set to expire on,
0: and that'll be the end of it. Exactly. But in in this case, we're talking about money that was automatically paid from the government into her account. You can't beg for money that's already in your account. There's even letters from the tax office saying that this money's going to her account. And, and she's th- so, you know, that's one example of a piece of empirical evidence that she's lied.
3: The, the irony of all this is if we lose our mind once, we now become the monster which we've been accused. But they can stack lie upon lie upon lie. Yeah. And they don't automatically become the monster they are. Or at no. least they're not seen or noted by the system as the monster they are. Let me. No, you. they're not.
0: It's very gender biased, very gen- horribly gender biased. And and there's nothing we could do about that because, you know, uh, how can I put this? About back in the 1960s, there were two serial killers, Myra Ma- Hindley and Ian Brady. They-, they killed a number of children in this area very horribly. They buried them up in the hills. Ugh. And the mother of one of the children that was murdered said all she ever wanted was to have five minutes alone with those killers.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: know that feeling. And here's the thing Myra Hindley If one of the victim's family members Was on the street Wailing the tar out of Myra Hindley And he was male The automatic response would be To, to go in and, and rescue the woman If they didn't know who she was You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And even if it turns out Oh, that's that's Myra Hindley Being on the ground being kicked The initial response would be To save the woman One of my
3: best friends uh, He's my brother He's Jamaican mm. People would When we were kids People would cross the street To avoid him Because he- mm. He looks mean, but I tell you, he's the gentlest soul in the world. Mm. Now he had an abusive uh, girlfriend. He's holding his bag and he was leaving her. He was like, I'm done with this. I'm not dealing dealing with you anymore. He's on the street and she's grabbing his bag and she's pulling on it, yelling, no, no, because she wanted him to stay. Two cops came and beat the hell out of him
0: because they thought
3: he was stealing her bag without asking any questions.
0: Yeah, I know. In our situation, this is something that I'm learning from watching. There's a channel called the African Diaspora News Channel. It's run by a guy in Houston called Philip Scott. And he's highlighting these these issues, how they affect African-Americans. African-Americans not being able to cash a check, not being able to buy a piece of designer clothing without having after having the police called on them. You know, six or seven years ago, that Barbecue Becky calling the police on a group of, of African-Americans just having a barbecue in, a, in an area of a park. That was set aside for barbecues, right? <laughs> you know what was that? And you having three children who are half black, you can definitely empathize
3: yeah. with this
0: this fight. Well, it, it's not. It's not even about. In, in in their case, it's it is about skin color. In in our situation, it's because of our gender. Oh, sure. We are assumed to be the monsters. We are assumed to be the Ted Bundys, and nobody can envisage the possibility that our women are the actual monsters. And my belief is. That for a man to get away with doing what the, the women are doing, we have to be the ones who have the money and the ability to hire the best lawyers, the best counsel, the best barristers to be able to get the first punch in, so to speak. And it's only then that a man can get away with what the women are doing so often now. I may be wrong, but that's my impression. The money feeds the beast in the
3: industry. If I had the money, I'd have custody of my children's hands down, just with the number of lies that were told, I mean, and they're easily to prove lies, like yourself. If you had the money, it's amazing what can happen if you're rich.
0: If I had Oprah Winfrey's money, this would be all over in, in a heart, heartbeat. But I think if I'd probably have her lawyers turning up at my my front door saying, where's Oprah Winfrey's money? <laughs> now, we're, we're getting towards the end, but mm. you, have a, you have a good head on your shoulders for it. So Thank you. advice
3: to people at this stage, at the one-year mm. stage, mistakes you made or things you did right? Right. Listen, we all make mistakes. And so if we can mm. tell mistakes that we made to stop other guys from making those
0: mistakes, that's important. But any advice you could give? One of the pieces of advice that I would say is when this is all, all kicking off, um, some one of the things that happened with me when the non-molestation order was served on me was that my ex was still trying to message me and contact me, save those screenshots of the phone calls, the WhatsApp messages, whatever, record the WhatsApp messages and put them into your evidence bundle. But if the, the biggest piece of advice I would give is if your ex tries to contact you and says, call me back, don't do it. <laughs> that is save true. the screenshot, save the call, save the, the the message, send it to your lawyer, send it to the police, send it and save it to a number of different places so that if your device is damaged, it's safe. And that evidence is, is always safe. But that's the biggest one I would give. And the other thing is rely on your friends and family and loved ones for help. It's easy to make mistakes. One of the mistakes I made was I nearly went too close to the, the school that the children could go to, um, but it was done in a sea of grief. Don't do that. Don't give them the even the the smallest opportunity to turn around and say, you've broken the law. We do not have the luxury of making mistakes. We will make mistakes, but for the love of, I am nearly going to say another a rude word there, for the love of God, <laughs> don't. call Fall back on your family, fall back on your friends, come to networks like us, because the odds are even if you're the most rampant feminist in the world, the odds are that one of these days, it'll be your son, your brother, your nephew, the child that you bounced on your knee and said was going to be wonderful even when you were changing his nappy, is now in the most indescribable pain. And my advice would be is keep your head, do the best you can, have your faith, have your cup of tea, have your cigarette, have your glass of wine if you if you need it, and your or your oil drum. Make use of those things. And it's it's organizations like us. Regardless of your gender or your sexual persuasion, it's organizations like ours and groups like ours that will be here for you. And that's my advice. Beautiful advice, brother. And if I could just
3: add to that, as we're going to find out in tomorrow's episode, Third Arrest the Charm, John story, when you're scrolling through your texts, put your phone on airplane mode. If you accidentally like the text or thumbs up it by accident, it goes immediately to their phone and you've now contacted them. That's tomorrow's episode. Well, and, uh, thank you again, Chuck. David, thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciate it. And keep doing what you're doing, brother. Bless you. Thank you again, Chuck. God and you, and um,
0: uh, go and have some breakfast. You too. <laughs> go have your lunch. Talk to you soon, man. I will. Take care. speed,
2: man. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So, follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram. And let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world.
3: You can't change what happened to your brothers. So, figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said, to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So, until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy.
0: So,